Hi, everyone. I'm Gary Knoll. Nice to have you with us today. We're going to learn about how a little loving kindness can improve your mental health. The University of Nottingham in the United Kingdom shares this with us, but I have a lot more on health to share, including a Norwegian University of Science study that increasing dietary fiber reduces the risk of developing diabetes. That's important. But also today, and the reason I'm not uh, Zoom streaming today, is because I want to take calls. We have an extraordinarily sophisticated audience, very aware of issues, learning the larger and deeper context, not just reacting, but using reason. And because I'm broadcasting also on the, not just the Progressive Reader Network, but also on our sister station, WBAI, for 45 years. Historically, the Pacifica Network was known for having some of the finest critical thinking minds, people who thought deeply, wonderful conversations. And it wasn't just one-sided political ideology being promoted. It was looking at life and all the different intersecting pieces. A lot of that is gone today especially when it comes to understanding the loss of our freedoms, including our freedom of speech, censorship, book burnings, uh, the cancel culture, what is being taught in schools as propaganda. So we're going to focus on this today. I feel it's rather unfortunate that I'm the only program that I'm aware of. There may be others. I, I've heard Gary Bird, but I haven't heard it. Uh, he always does a good show, and Dr. Kakai have also touched on these issues. But I would have thought that Pacifica would have been at the lead of looking for the truth, wherever wherever that is, and whatever it is, and presenting it to its audience. It's part of the problem, not the solution in this case. In other areas, it's been part of the solution, not the problem. So we'll continue to be a part of the solution. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to share a lot of different short videos, hopefully up to seven. You're going to hear, for example, of parents who are very educated. They've done an enormous amount of research. Talk with any of them. Talk with some of the leaders, and you'll see that they are reading hundreds of articles. They're reviewing the actual studies and that we have been told we must abide by, finding out the studies said just the opposite what Fauci and others have said. They're learning how corrupt and compromised our federal agencies are. I've written articles. Read them for yourself. Go to GaryAndAll.com, and there you'll see scholarly articles fully referenced, all footnoted, with quality footnotes, always using peer-reviewed literature to show you that the FDA, the CDC, the World Health Organization, the U.S. Public Health Services, Big Pharma, Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, Merck, We've done exposés on all of them. Now, when was the last time anyone at Pacifica or anyone in the mainstream media or anyone in the alternative media did an exposé that could stand cross-examination in a court of law and be upheld as true and factual on any of these issues? Yet these are the very institutions and very people you're trusting your life with. And yet instead of having a deeper, more meaningful, and more legitimate conversation, debate, and dialogue, 
It's just screaming epitaphs one to another. That is counterintuitive and counterproductive. All we want is the truth. That's all. Transparency. So you're going to hear from school teachers today who are educated and parents who are educated. You're going to hear from a Dr. Daniel Nagasi, an MD and a scientist both, about when your child receives this vaccine, it's going to collapse their immune system. You're going to also hear from one of the world's leading science um, science observers and analyzers, a person that actually works for the British Medical Journal and is a professor at a major university, impeccable background, who will tell you that we're taking everything on assumptions of truth. When he looks for the truth, he's not finding it. Virtually everything that the AMA and these other journals are saying is its opposite. So what about the parents that have taken the time to do the homework and are listening to people like Dr. Daniel Nagasi, who has no political uh, interest. He's just telling you as a scientist the truth. So everything you're going to hear today has been posted in its entirety. We're only taking parts of it on uh, PRN.FM. And none of this is being explained or even discussed in any other media because it would fall apart. Their arguments would just dissipate. So we're going to show you all this. We begin with the latest on health and healing. Mindfulness, that's the ancient Buddhist approach to meditation, is attracting increasing attention in the 21st century as a non-invasive treatment for stress and depression. But can it improve mental well-being in young people? Using EEG, that's the electroencephalography, a non-invasive method of recording electrical activity in the brain along the scalp, a Dr. Ahmed Mohammed from the School of Psychology at the University of Nottingham is attempting to find out if loving-kindness meditation can improve the well-being and mental health of young people. Now, mindfulness is a cost-free, effective, and non-invasive way of helping the aim is to discover if mindfulness compared with active relaxation, just kind of chilling out, can improve the subjective well-being and brain measures in healthy young adolescents. And after completing a psychological questionnaire, the students uh, at the University of Nottingham took part in a two-week mindfulness intervention to assess the impact on their subjective well-being and happiness and their sense of gratitude as well as hopefulness. The mindfulness training being used in this research focused on being friendly towards yourself, not being self-deprecating or beating up on yourself or always disappointed yourself or always fearful of your failing at something and being criticized. But then do it for others as well. Before criticizing another person, ask yourself, what would be different if I approach this other person with kindness? instead of anger and rage. Well, the research funded by the Faculty of Science at the University is in process now. And I'll keep you posted on this because we've done this. I did this at our last anti-aging clinical study on campus with 30 individuals, and we found the following. that, And they were engaged in it about four hours a day. 
looking for the best in another human being. Seeing before you judge someone for what they're doing or saying or even thinking, can you go to neutral and ask yourself, I'm not in their shoes. I haven't been in their life. I haven't met the complications and the circumstances that allow us to make our judgments and sometimes force judgments and force us into reacting or maladapting or transcending a crisis. Would I think differently of what a person's doing or saying if I took a moment not to judge them for what they've said or done, but rather simply to ask, what options do they have? What mistakes have I made in my own life that I could go back and say, you know, I should have not done that, said that, but I did. What lesson can I learn from it? That's a way that you forgive yourself for just being human. And in a cancel culture that is so hypocritical, and I'm so opposed to the cancel culture because there is no, there's no mindfulness in the cancel culture. There's no forgiveness. There is no understanding. There's no, there's no sense of empathy. It's just, you made a mistake. You wore your hair too short, too long. You said the wrong word. You didn't use the wrong pronoun. You should die. The hate that is coming out of these woke-minded people using racism for anything. What's today? Uh, today is Thursday. Racist. Thursday. You can't use Thursday. It's racist. Math. Racist. Expecting someone to have some form of meritocracy in anything they do. Quality of work. Racist. Expectations of being honest. Racist. It's insane where we have come to in our society. Not everyone. Only a small minority. But the small minority has had the microphone and the platform. And therefore... They're like a tiny little person walking in front of a outdoor, uh, outdoor drive-in movie projector, and suddenly their little body is shown 60 feet high on a 60-foot screen. And now it's time for the world to say, no more, no more. You had your moment. You came with no mindfulness but violence. Your intent was violence. Your intent was to cancel people who you never knew, never spoke with, have no knowledge of their background. So we did this. <clears throat> And wow, it completely changed people's perspectives. So just remember, that person that you're going to attack and want to destroy and cancel, who you've never spoken to, you know nothing about, but you're on the right side of a political ideological and you're just, take the hammer and sickle out of your hand for a moment, friends, and realize, maybe put compassion in its place. That's what we did, and it worked. So I'm interested in what's going to happen with this study that's doing something similar, but not as in-depth, because we, we were doing mindful exercises every single day, all day, and into the evening. And uh, there would be short discussions, 15 minutes. Why 15 minutes? Because even with my films, I suggest people only watch 15 minutes at a time and stop. Then contemplate, understand, wrestle with, challenge. Anything that has been presented to see, does it make sense? Is it reasonable? Does it fit? Does it, does it open a door I wasn't aware existed? Does it give me additional insight into the human condition? How can we live together? Because we all have something in common that the woke culture does not want to acknowledge. The political elite class of doctors, lawyers, engineers, accountants, politicians, the rats that <laughs> they are, they don't want to acknowledge we're all spiritual people. They want to identify you from something so superficial, so non-essential, 
and your entire existence is predicated upon their superficial belief that they're right, you're wrong. But what if we didn't have that barrier? What if we could see each other, work together, love together, share together, cooperate together? What a difference the world would be. And that's what we've found. So at the end of our study, people came away feeling... As one, one gentleman came up and he said, I'm 66 years old. I've been in um, my work for a long time. And I thought I knew all about dealing with people. But this deep mindful meditation on understanding what it is to be the other, this has given me a whole new perspective. I feel much more relaxed. And I believe that now I can better understand what's happening in the world. Good. Another study in the Norwegian University of Science study, published in the European Association of the Study of Diabetes, found that the more fiber you have, the higher the quality of the fiber you have, the less likely you are to develop type 2 diabetes. It's that simple, not complicated. Then the Curtin University, which is in Australia, they found that short attention spans, which is everywhere today, especially in younger people, is linked to social media distress. Now, according to the new Curtin, that's C-U-R-T-I-N, University Research, they found that people who get distracted easily are more prone to suffer psychological distress and mental health issues from high levels of social media use. This was published in the Journal of Affective Disorders. And the research tracked the phone data of a group of participants from 18 years old to 58 to see their usage of popular apps, including Instagram and Reddit, over a week period. And what they found was that those that used the most social media were much more likely to become depressed and anxious and stressed. And that's not good. So I believe it's time that we walked away from the vast majority of the social medias. Now, to give you an idea that I don't talk it if I don't walk it, I, I haven't used my cell phone once in the last month, and I generally use it only for about one call a week, um, and generally for only a minute or two, and then on a speaker. I don't have Facebook, and you can only imagine the number of people would be following me on Facebook because the last time I was on Facebook, I had that day that I signed off and never wanted to go back again and won't, I had 7.7 .7 million people on there. That's, and it was every day. But that was uh, five years ago. I haven't gone back. Don't Twitter. Never have. So off that. I don't use Google. And I sure as hell don't use Wikipedia. <clears throat> Though I've written 74 articles about Wikipedia and what's wrong with it. And we just wrote a letter um, to the incoming president of Wikipedia about what this person might want to do to try to correct all the imbalances. And we have, by the way, we have two new books, major books on Wikipedia coming out with revelations that no one has ever known before. Because we've had a lot of, I mean, when I say a lot, I mean a flood of whistleblowers from inside Wikipedia who've been sharing information. That's why you haven't heard me dealing with any of the um, information yet. You will shortly. 
So it's just important that what we do now is that we stop all the distraction, lengthen our attention span, try to understand things in a deeper, more meaningful context, instead of everything just being jumped from item to item to item to item and get addicted to those clicks, because then you become addicted just like with sugar and nicotine, caffeine, from the dopamine hits. So try to get off of it. When I ask people, walk away from the New York Times, totally corrupt organization, walk away from all of the social institutions out there on cable, all of them. Walk away from the Atlantic and publications I used to really enjoy reading. Walk away from them. All right? Because they're not helping anyone except those that they want to see helped. From the University of Nottingham, United Kingdom, an article published in Gut Microbiomes, exercise increases the body's own cannabis, which reduces chronic inflammation. Now, this is very important. In lay language, it means this. When you exercise, you're increasing your body's own cannabis-like substances, which in turn helps reduce inflammation and could potentially help treat certain conditions such as arthritis, cancer, and heart disease. That's important. And the more you exercise, the more you produce, the more you reduce pain, the more you lower the levels of inflammatory substances called cytokines, C-Y-T-O-K-I-N-E-S. It also increases, excuse me, the level of cannabis-like substances that are called endo, E-N-D-O, cannabinoids, C-A-N-N-A-B-I-N-O-I-D-S. Interestingly, the way exercise resulted in these changes was by altering the gut microbiomes. Exercise is known to decrease chronic inflammation, which in turn causes many diseases like cancer and arthritis and heart disease, but little is known about how it reduces inflammation. So the study showed that. So exercise and it helps. Also, discrimination increases the risk of mental health issues in young adults. This is from the University of California, Los Angeles. So this UCLA study has found that young adults who have experienced discrimination have a higher risk of both short and long-term behavioral mental health problems. Now, mind you, when we think of discrimination, immediately we think, okay, historically, it was mainly um, minority class individuals, but it was also poor class individuals. We've always had class discrimination, always, not just here in the United States, but throughout the world. And a part of that discriminatory process is also discriminating against a person's ethnicity, but also discrimination against wealth, against education, against culture, uh, against, against the family dynamic. All of these different discriminations take place. So we have to look a little, little broader at how discrimination occurs. And if you think discrimination is not about to get a lot worse, do you remember I was telling you a year ago that the problem is not COVID? We're all going to get COVID sooner or later. That's inevitable. We're all going to be exposed to COVID. That doesn't mean we'll all get it, but our immune systems will determine what we get and how long it lasts and how lethal or non-lethal it will be. It'll be much like the flu. And yet the people who are vaccinating you now are vaccinating you with a vaccine that is effectively ineffective because the variant 
the Delta variant is what's really causing the problem in most people. <clears throat> but that's real science versus media science and corporate science. I'm going to show you a clip. In fact, Jesse, we're going to show him the clip right now. Uh, this clip, and you can watch it by going to prn.fm, scroll down to the notes, because I keep all of my notes there for you every day. So if you have to, well, where did you get that study? Where did you quote that? You'll have it all there. This is Klaus Schwab. They just completed this last week in Dubai. This is the top people from around the world who gathered together, none elected, but all selected, all self-reinforcing to explain to you how they intend to um, run the world. Now, you talk about scary. This is scary. I've helped a lot of people with COVID. All have survived. Several right out of a hospital got them out of a hospital because I knew it was going to be death if, when once they start getting on the ventilators. So that I can deal with. This is much bigger. This should really concern you. This is real. And now you're going to hear from the person themselves. So you can say, no, Gary wasn't engaging in any hyperbole. I heard it, saw it for myself. A whole panel in Dubai. And there's Klaus Schwab. He's introducing the five panelists then in, in, the, in the, final, uh, the final session. This is only three minutes long. It's called The Great Narrative. And now all over the world, all the heads of government and all the major media and all the major corporations are going to be supporting this. And guess who it doesn't support? You. Guess who's a victim by it? All of you. Guess whose lives will be uh, monitored at every level and you will be made redundant. You. So nobody should be cheering this on except the people who now can control every single thing in your life. This is what she has to say. Listen carefully, because she's considered the world's leader in this area. That's why she was selected. So we're hearing from her. Let's go to the tape. Three big technological trends that will uh, drive this uh, future. And one is digitalization. So if you look further ahead, uh, you see quantum computing, the field I work in. It's, a, it's a, a, a completely new paradigm for computing based on the laws of quantum physics, which can create an exponential growth of, uh, of compute power, which can help solve problems, optimization problems, uh, calculate new materials. And on the shorter term, of course, artificial intelligence already here, but that will grow enormously. Uh, the metaverse, we talked a lot about that, uh, getting to augmented and new virtual realities. Um, and of course, the fourth digital revolution, the industrial revolution. So all these things will yeah, have a tremendous impact. And the second, the second technological trend is everything uh, that has to do with the energy transition. So looking far out, uh, uh, fusion power can become a reality finally uh, in the mid-century. And before things like uh, green hydrogen uh, and uh, also AI and uh, uh, digitalization will enable this transition because we will need smart grids to, to uh, improve our nets to uh, deal with the uh, emitted energy sources from solar and wind. 
So that's the second trend. And the third one I see is uh, biology. So engineered biology, we're getting into the era of really engineering uh, DNA uh, and also personalized medicine. So I think these are the three major trends for the coming decades. Frankie, one world, will it be a better world compared to today with many more opportunities or? Yes, I'm, I, I'm certain of that. If we know how to harness these, these technologies, then they will, uh, yeah. yeah. I come back later, um, yeah. but um, Did you hear what she said? And she's the world's leading authority. When you're selected, like Obama and Bill Clinton, you're then elected. But they don't have to elect people today, they simply have to select them. And these are all part of the Davos group. And there are thousands, about five or 6,000 of the policy makers but they have everything tied up. Everything is a monopoly. You're just not aware of it. You will be in another two weeks when we do a 10-part series showing you who controls the world, the most definitive investigative report of the power structure and balances and who's really behind the scenes, who owns the big stocks in all the major companies. I'll give you just one quick example. Coca-Cola and Pepsi-Cola, two different bottling companies fighting each other, wrong. They're both owned by the same corporation. Yeah. Who owns the stock? The majority stock controls the corporation, control the board of directors. And, uh, but I'm not going to tell you more than that <clears throat> because I'm going to be naming names and showing you their wealth, showing you all the corporations they're a part of. They're, let's put it this way. The people that actually control the world, the small group, it's a small group. In fact, it's so small, it's five companies. That's right five companies. They're so rich that the Koch brothers, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, would be considered pocket change. That's how powerful and wealthy they are. But that, I've been working on this for over a year, a lot of investigative report, and it'll come up oh, to show you how what she says will be implemented. Quote, this is according to Midpress News. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation donated at least $319 million to fund media projects at hundreds of organizations, including CNN, NBC, NPR, PBS, and The Atlantic, raising questions about those news outlets' ability to report objectively on Gates and his work. And his work is vaccines. Hmm. So... You're beginning to see who is behind all this and why nobody will criticize Fauci. Nobody will criticize uh, Gavi or criticize anyone in power because they're protected. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, you're going to hear from mothers and fathers who care about the curriculum, care about the teaching, care about not getting vaccines that have not been proven safe and effective for children who know science has shown to the contrary, all the science, 100% of the science has shown that children don't need the vaccines. And they're standing up. They're the ones who are at the head of the curve. Everyone else is complicit. Back in a moment. Uh, so many parents walking with their kids, you know, protecting their kids from us. Unbelievable. These parents need to be protecting their kids from what is happening in the school system. And I am a teacher, well, I was a teacher, for almost 10 years. 
uh, and it's a good thing that I'm not teaching because I would never, ever be able to sit idly by in a school building knowing that this poison is being injected into our babies. No one is going to give you informed consent in this building. It's going to be implied consent because as the World Health Organization says, if you know what's going on and you send your kids anyway, that is consent. And these parents have no clue. No clue why we're standing out here fighting for their kids in the cold. I have no job and two kids and I'm out here fighting for your kids. You can't change it if you're not willing to pull your kid out of school, even for the day even for one day, because for every day that a kid is not in a public school, that school loses funding. And every single day that there is a vaccine pop-up, every child should be home. Okay, now that was a five-year-old little girl getting the vaccine at 7.30 in the morning right before getting shuffled off to class. Every single one of you that are here and every single child that's in the school and all the parents that were too scared to come out here and fight for their own kids because they don't want to be on TV, shame on you, but I will advocate for your children till my last breath. If they stomp on my nursing license, you will have to stand over my dead body, dead on the ground to give my child a vaccination. This may be the most important battle that any of us decide to fight. Been warning for over a year that they were gonna come for the kids. It's here now. This is government school, it's not a public school. And what we need to start doing is taking it back. But when they're doing it in a schooling system, we are in a lot of trouble here. If you're not willing to defend your kids and you're saying that it's okay for them to go in and you hope for the best, that someone doesn't wanna make a mistake and accidentally give consent, then when are you going to fight? Because if we just allow it to happen, they'll just keep taking. A parent told me, my kid goes here and you guys have no right to make my kid scared. And I agree with you. And my kid is never going to get this. And she should be out here with us. I trust PS56 and they will never force my child to get this. I trusted my hospital and now I've been unemployed for three months. The real world is PS56 makes zero decisions. It's, it just comes down the line. So when the reality hits that when you say your kid's not going to get it and you trust the school, they're going to eventually make it mandatory. And you're going to be out here with us because you're going to be homeschooling your kid or you're going to conform. So I like to point out... That's just a few parents protesting... They're the educated ones, those who complied. Did they do the same homework? Did they read all the scientific journals, the peer review literature? Did they speak with other parents? Were they networking with other parents to find out the truth? Remember, we have four million, minimally four million autistic children in the United States who were completely normal and healthy and their parents got them vaccinated and they regressed into autism. No insurance, nothing to help them, and you have to be with an autistic child 24-7 for the rest of their lives. So these people are awakening. They're sharing their story with each other, where everyone else just tunes in to listen to what the people who are the propagandists have to say. And by the way, there are lots of propagandists out there, which reminds me of something. 
The Guardian just brought out an article today from Mark Brown. Interesting because it says, quote, Nazis based their elite schools on top British private schools, Eaton and Harrow, among those whose character-building qualities were admired by German educators in the 1930s and 40s. Quote, Nazi Germany's elite schools, which were set up to train future leaders of the Third Reich, use British private schools such as Eton and Harrow's as their models. This is a historian, Helen Roche, has written the first comprehensive history of Nazis' elite schools and, uh, and then she did a lot of work on this. And what I found interesting was the bottom paragraph of the article, quote, and this is a, Roche said that many of the British boys and masters were impressed by what they saw in Germany although attitudes changed as relations deteriorated. Quote, you can see this exchange program has provided a microcosm for more general attitudes towards the National Socialist regime by the middle and upper class British public, not wholly convinced by the aims and ideals of the Third Reich, but nevertheless prepared to give their German counterparts the benefit of a doubt until Nazis' belligerence reached its fatal climax, end quote, meaning that the ruling elite of Great Britain were, and by the way, it was also true in the United States, were fully embracing the, um, the National Socialist uh, propaganda campaign of Hitler and his, his lieutenants until war started. And, but the Germans got a lot of their indoctrinating principles from the English, from not the average English, and not the average schools and curriculum, but from the elites. How much of our problems today are caused by the elites? Never elected, always selected. In groups that reinforce each other's uniqueness. Never criticizing. There was a, a person last night on television, a medical doctor, who was one of the people on the a Trump administration's AIDS advisory panel, or excuse me, um, COVID advisory panel, along with Andy Fauci, etc. And he said that it was so embarrassing because no one, not a single person ever, head of the CDC, head of the FDA, ever brought a single scientific paper there. Their science was abysmal, and they never discussed the actual peer review literature. And he said that it was, he couldn't believe that these people had this much power and were so ignorant of the facts. And he, he told them repeatedly, you're wrong on this, but they overrode him in any case and then tried to make him out to look like he, excuse me, that he was stupid. He wasn't. He was right on. And that's the consequence of when you don't have adequate challenges. So here's a medical doctor, probably someone you've never heard of. I've never heard of him. Dr. Na uh, Daniel Nagasi, N-A-G-A-S-E. He's a medical doctor, board certified, and he's also a scientist. He has a background in immunology. Now, he's, he's one of thousands of doctors and scientists urging not to have children vaccinated because the science doesn't show they need it. They have almost zero opportunity of dying from COVID. <clears throat> far, far less likely to die of COVID than the flu. And, uh, and the 400 and some comor uh, p children who have died almost all had comorbidities, leukemia and other diseases. 
Here's what he's warning in this short clip. Please listen, because he will now be attacked. They'll go after his medical license, and the mainstream media will try to show that he is just one of these unfortunate, deluded people. This is, yes, this is, uh, this is Dr. Daniel Nagasi. They're telling cells to produce a non-human protein, the spike protein. Why on earth are you giving children whose immune systems are still developing and learning to tell the difference between good cells in the body and bad cells in the body, why are you telling the cells inside a child's body to produce a non-human protein? And what that will do from a basic immunology point of view, and I am really, really upset at the number of doctors and immunologist specialists who should know what I'm talking about, who are not speaking up. I have a message for those immunologists and pediatric specialists. You better listen and you better remember all the stuff you learned in medical school because this is why you were taught that. During development, during childhood, the body's immune system has to differentiate between normal cells that are supposed to be present in the body and abnormal cells. If you give the child's body, the cells in that child's body, an abnormal protein and tell those cells to start manufacturing toxic, non-human spike proteins, then there's a good chance that that child's immune system, which is still developing, might say, oh, there's nothing wrong with the body's own cells producing non-human proteins. And so what that will do is 10 years, 20 years, maybe even 30 years later, when eventually through living, sometimes hard work, stress, being exposed to chemicals, when one of those child cells mutates and what the immune system should do is recognize the mutated cells that, you know, that hasn't had a healthy diet or maybe that cell ate too much McDonald's or something, it should eliminate that cell because it's not producing normal proteins. But if 20 years earlier that child got a spike protein vaccination, that immune system might not be able to recognize the cancerous cell anymore because that immune system got used to seeing normal cells produce abnormal proteins. So that increases the risk of cancer. And if they want to come debate me, Send me an email. I would love to have a debate with any scientist that wants to challenge me on anything I've spoken about today. My email is dnagase at protonmail.com. Okay, another courageous physician. He did not have to commit himself to going public. He will now be vilified. That's the way it works for everyone. And... Uh, but he's, he's putting the interest of the children first based upon real science, the immunological development of children. Everything else is based upon making enormous amounts of extra profit using children, and now infants as young as six months of age to put this in there. This is, this is child abuse, and for those promoting it, uh, they should be held accountable. But then again, we never hold anyone accountable if they're in power. Unless I'm mistaken, we didn't hold anyone accountable for Vietnam. 
the Korean War, for uh, Afghanistan, for Iraq, Syria, um, nothing. Libya, no. But, and we're not going to hold anyone accountable. If every kid in America were to die from the vaccine, it would just be an unfortunate loss of profit for that development of the next vaccine, but it, it wouldn't make anyone stop and pause for a moment. We just don't have that capacity at this time in our in our society for the mainstream context, mainstream medical doctors and scientists and politicians and corporatists who are driven by profit, power, and control to see how wrong they are on this. Here is a pilot, regular guy, pro-vaccine, and he's testifying under oath about his experience. And imagine all the pilots. What if it happened to them? And mind you, the results are not always immediate. You could have results a year from now. Do you want to be on the flight where a pilot suddenly has a seizure? Okay, listen to him. Good morning, and thank you, Senator Johnson, for this opportunity. My name is Cody Flint. I am a 33-year-old husband and the father of two young boys. I'm an agricultural pilot by profession with over 10,000 total flight hours. I have been very healthy my whole life with no underlying conditions. I received my first dose of the Pfizer COVID vaccine on February 1st. Within 30 minutes, I developed a severe stabbing headache that later became a burning sensation in the back of my neck. Two days after vaccination, I got, my got in my airplane to do a job that would take only a few hours. Immediately after taking off, I knew something was not right with me. I was starting to develop tunnel vision and my headache was getting worse. Approximately two hours into my flying, I pulled my airplane up to turn around and felt an extreme burst of pressure in my ears. Instantly, I was nearly blacked out, dizzy, disoriented, nauseous, and shaking uncontrollably. By the grace of God, I was able to land my plane without incident, although I do not remember doing this. My initial diagnosis of vertigo and a severe panic attack, although I've never had a history of either of these, was later replaced with left and right paralymphatic fistulas, eustachian tube dysfunction, and elevated intracranial pressure due to brain swelling. My condition continu continued to decline, and my doctors told me only an adverse reaction to the vaccine or a major head trauma could have caused this much spontaneous damage. I've had six spinal taps over eight months to monitor my intracranial pressure and two surgeries eight weeks apart to repair the fistulas. I have missed nearly an entire year of my life and part of my children's lives. Days of baseball games, playing in the backyard, and just picking up my kids to hug them have been replaced with being trapped in a sick body, doctor visits, invasive procedures, and more questions than answers. I don't know if I'll ever be able to fly an airplane again. This vaccine has taken my career from me and the future I have worked so hard to build. I have used all of my savings to pay medical bills and just to be able to survive. My family and I are on the verge of losing everything we have. I was and still am pro-science and pro-vaccine. The main issue rests squarely on the fact that the FDA, CDC, and NIH refuse to acknowledge that real lives are being absolutely destroyed by this vaccine. The federal government has yet to help a single one of the vaccine injured. It was my understanding that the federal government accepted the responsibility of helping people injured by this vaccine, considering they gave the vaccine manufacturers full legal immunity 
from people like me. The government has left us nowhere to turn for help. My family and I masked up, stayed indoors, and dodged COVID for over a year. We did what was asked of us by being part of the solution. That solution has taken everything from me and my family. We have been ignored and silenced. It is not right, and it needs to stop now. It is time for the federal government to do its part by acknowledging us and helping us. Does anyone really think it's fair? The government has done its part, friend. They got you to believe in them. All right, they're happy. No one in Congress is losing sleep over this, certainly not the White House. And no one, no one in corporate America profiting from this, not the hospital associations, etc. By the way, there's this idea that if, if there was anything to this, then it would have been clear that the American public would have been told this, the scientific community had been told it. No, this just came out today. Quote, the Food and Drug Administration asked federal judge to grant it until the year 2076 to fully release Pfizer's COVID vaccine data. Let me repeat that. 55 years from now, where most of you will be dead, you'll be... Uh, You'll be able then to find out how safe was the uh, Pfizer vaccine. Why don't they release it with full transparency right now? That's not the way it works. 55 years to produce the information to the public. That's what Pfizer is saying. Just to share that with you. And that's posted. You can read the whole article for yourself. You see, you're just not doing your homework. We do homework. We read the articles. Here's another one. Association for Profession Professionals in Infectious Control. And uh, results from the CDC analysis published today in the American Journal of Infectious Control. Quote, most comprehensive analysis to date reveal 30% of healthcare personnel in the United States hospitals remain unvaccinated against COVID. Would you think that maybe these are not Trump-supporting uh, white supremacist, as the CNN would like you to believe. These are people working in the front lines. They see the cover-ups. They see the lack of honesty in reporting deaths and injuries. They see, and they don't want to be a part of it. So now they're fired, and now they're denigrated. That's what's happening. We'll take you to another one now. Now we're going to hear from, let's go over to, um, let's play the one from the, the study experts, vaccinated are spreading COVID and not just the unvaccinated. We've been told from the President of the United States and everyone else, oh, it's the unvaccinated. That's a pandemic. It's not true. It's a lie that all the science shows just the opposite. Let's give you some of the science. And this is from a reporting team. People believe that vaccinated individuals don't spread the virus. That's one of the main reasons why many want to vaccinate children, even though they don't usually get severely ill after contracting COVID. <coughs> but a study published by medical journal The Lancet found that ongoing transmission had occurred between vaccinated individuals. Fully vaccinated carry similar viral loads, very high viral loads of Delta, uh, just as much as the unvaccinated. 
Epidemiologist Peter McCullough says because vaccinated people also carry and spread the virus, most vaccine mandates don't make much sense. Dr. Paul Alexander is a former epidemiologist for the WHO. He says the vaccines might actually prolong the pandemic. But you are becoming vaccinated and running around society thinking you are fine, but you don't understand. You have massive viral loads and your symptoms are low, so you're not understanding that you're sick. Both doctors say that besides not preventing the spread of the virus, the vaccines aren't protecting people as much as they should because they were not created for the Delta variant, which is now the main strain. Look at Israel. Israel is far ahead of the United States in vaccination. Their Delta curve is bigger than their pre-vaccination curve. And over 90% of Israelis in the hospital and dying are fully vaccinated, even with boosters. He added that focusing treatment on those who have COVID is better than trying to vaccinate everyone. Arian Pastar, NTD News. Okay, now let's finish up with a clip from Robert Kennedy Jr. And then your turn, 888-874-4888, And I'm very interested in your perspective when a, this person from the economic World Economic Forum is giving us the ideas. They're going to control all communications. They're going to have only smart grids that they control every single piece of information and data, facial recognition. They control currencies. You'll no longer have cash, gold, silver, uh, coin. You'll have a card. The card will be a part of what you're coded. And she said, we're going to have coding. That means coding you, branding Well, forget that, Jack. You're not. You'd be the first to be branded. Let's see how that goes. We'll watch. No, we'll never be branded. Those of us who believe in freedom and integrity and real science, we're never going to be branded. We're not cattle. But you will be, willingly in many cases. Okay. If you don't care about anything in life, then you won't have a life. You have virtual reality. And did you hear what she said about Biological sciences, that's transhumanism. It's a code word for transhumanism. The implant into your brain so they can control what you think, how you respond to your emotions, know everything you've ever thought, have every memory that's encoded in your DNA and in your neurons. They'll have that. Is that what you want? Be interesting. She was very open and honest. She wasn't hiding anything. They don't have to hide anything. They control everything. They don't have to hide. They control the Justice Department. They control... The White House and the buffoons in those places, Democrat, Republicans, irrelevant. That's all irrelevant. My God, it's so yesterday to think that a political party makes a difference. It does not. These people, when you see my series coming, you'll see who really controls everything. So your turn to talk back, 888-874-4888. Now, RFK. There were twenty, roughly 22,000 people in the vaccine group. There were 22,000 people roughly in the placebo group. At the end of six months, there was one death from COVID in the vaccine group. And there were two deaths from COVID of the 22,000 people in the placebo group. So Pfizer was able to tell FDA and the American public this vaccine is 100% effective against death. 
because two is 100% of one. What, what most Americans, when they hear that data point, what they believe is if they take the vaccine, they have 100% chance of not getting COVID. But that's not what it means. What it means is you have to give 22,000 vaccines to avert one death from COVID. And so you have to make sure that nobody dies from those 22,000 vaccines. Unfortunately, what their data show is that in the vaccine group, there were 20 deaths. Of, among the 22,000 people over six months, 20 of them died. In the placebo group, 14 died. What that indicates, if you get the vaccine, and this is what Pfizer's data is saying, you have a 48% greater chance of dying over the next six months. You have, you have half of that, you have halved your, halved your chance of dying of COVID. But in the placebo group, there was one person who died of a heart attack. In the vaccine group, there were five people who died of a heart attack. So what There's more to that. You can see the whole presentation. Just want to say to our WBA audience, uh, you're going to leave here in a moment. This coming Sunday at one o'clock, a live uh, Zoom conference uh, webinar on overcoming loneliness, depression, anxiety, fear, insecurity, and uncertainty. Uh, it starts at one o'clock. I don't know how long it'll run. I have a lot to share, and there's a lot of people who want to know this, and you'll have a chance to talk back, share your questions and issues, and I'll be happy to address them. Go to GaryAndAll.com for that. All right. Um, now, we have Frank from Manhattan on the line. Frank, your turn. Uh, hello, Gary. On uh, Friday on PRN, Bonnie Faulkner had Kevin Ryan on. He's the author of The Other 19. He's written a new a uh, piece called Observations of 9-11 and COVID, in which he has an 11-point program explaining the relationship between the two. Uh, it's excellent. Uh, I would suggest that you have Kevin on to discuss this. Thank you. I didn't hear the program, so we certainly will. We've had Kevin on in the past. Thank you for sharing that with Frank. And our next person, Rodney, who do we have up next? Feet. Felix from New York. Hi, Felix. Your turn. Hi, Mr. Null. Uh, Long-time fan. I have a question. Just call me Gary. I'm too young to be a mister. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, my question concerns the mobility of the COVID vaccine in the body. So you have a scenario. Imagine an intimate couple. One is vaccinated. The other is not. Question. Can the vaccine components be transferred from the vaxxed person to the unvaxxed partner via intimate contact and yes if, yes yes okay so would would the consequences be the same for the unvaxxed person as if they had gotten the actual vaccine? that we do not know but we do know that one of the ways that you get uh, you come into contact is with bodily fluids those fluids could be sweat saliva um any of the fluids 
you can absolutely transfer one to the other because what they told us originally was that the vaccine would be in the deltoid muscle and would stay there. Wasn't true. Got in the lymphatic system, said throughout the body. But no one chose to do any autopsies. I believe that was intentional because when someone finally did an autopsy, they found that they found the spike protein in the brain and the ovaries and the uterus. And one of the latest studies shows that up to 89 to 95% of all pregnant women in one study ended up with uh, miscarriages who were vaccinated. That should have stopped anyone who is pregnant from being vaccinated. It should have made sure that the pediatricians, unfortunately, as a group of doctors, they have less credibility than the psychiatrists who have no credibility. Uh, when it comes to protecting children, the pediatricians don't. They put them at risk. And when the, when the uh, obstetricians, gynecologists uh, go to talk with a woman who is pregnant, they should read the literature. They should get off their dead lazy asses and read the actual literature. You're getting paid astronomical amounts of money. Why don't you care about the effects? Because it's political, and these people are cowards, and they don't want to stand up for the truth. That virus is going throughout your whole body, and yes, you can transmit it. An asymptomatic person who has a higher, high viral load, but the immune system is adapted, easy to transmit that to another person. Okay? Thank you. Okay, thanks. See well. All the best. Who else do we have up, Rodney? Okay, well, we're up to the end of our program here. Um, by the way, let me just give you the latest statistics for those who believe that it's safe and effective. These are official data from the European Data System of Adverse Reactions and uh, 29,934 deaths, and that's only in half of European uh, countries. You're, you're dealing with a large database in Europe, and... Uh, uh, this is the European Union, which is 27 countries, but they almost, well, just shy of 30,000 dead and 2.8 million injured. And of the 2.8 million, you're dealing with uh, a total of 50 uh, countries in, in Europe, but you're dealing with those that are serious injuries, and the serious injuries are 1,311,861. That means, quote, Serious, uh, seriousness provides information on the suspected undesirable effects uh, that frequently results in death. These are life-threatening situations, hospitalizations, requiring all types of, of additional uh, therapies. And many of these will be having these for the rest of their life. So when you're looking at this and you ask yourself, wow, how in the world, if this is just one look at some of the deaths and injuries in, in one area, and you got 30,000 dead and almost 3 million injured and almost a million and a half of those serious, then you're dealing with casualty numbers that are approaching the injury numbers, approaching those that we haven't seen even in the Vietnam War. And this is just one area. That doesn't even include America, Japan, China, and all the other, India and all the other places in the world. So let that just set for a moment. And why are a lot of them dying? They're dying of uh, a pericarditis and other conditions of the heart and strokes, embolisms, and microclotting. So it's just beginning. This is just the beginning of it. Let's see how these things go in a year from now. Thank you all for listening and have a nice day.